Hey everyone, it's Pastor Eddie from River of Life. Just want to say thank you for joining us on our podcast. Now let's get ready to hear a word from the Lord today. What does God want to speak to our hearts today? So come on, open your Bibles, open your hearts, and let's get into the word. I'm going to want us all stand as you make your way over to Acts chapter 26. And listen, I'm mindful of the time, and I thank you for Pastor Appreciation. We love to honor our leaders uh, we also got a great team of directors and team leads and volunteers that serve every week. You guys are awesome. We honor you. Thank you. So there's 30, 35 volunteers that makes a Sunday happen at River of Life. That's 35 volunteers every Sunday. Some of them, that's their only day off, and you guys are here. Let me just give recognition to you guys. Having said that, I am conscious of the time. That's why we try to not make any, you don't, you don't have to have an eternal message to make an eternal impact but at the same time we're spirit-led and we're gonna let God do what he wants to do so I may go a few minutes over hope you get comfortable you you can stay standing you can kneel down whatever you want to do but I need to preach this message I got one of the most important issues that is close to God that I want to talk about that's a big statement well it's true it's the only thing that causes celebration in heaven everything Jesus did everything Jesus taught was centered around what I'm going to talk about today in the next few weeks, and that is to win souls. And I want to let you know that it is a it is spiritual warfare whenever we engage to win souls. Dad was just saying it, and that, that is so true. We transition from the family now into this series, but let me just tell you, moms and dads, one of the most important issues that you and I could be thinking of is the eternal destination of our kids. I love seeing a young man, Joey, getting baptized and the whole family just, why, that's a big deal. We celebrate the big deals when they are on soccer team, basketball team. We need to celebrate when they do something like this too also. And I love that family, you guys coming up like that, man. Joel and Maria, you guys are awesome. That, that's exactly how you do it. One of the, two of the disciples, they were brothers. They were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. You know those two boys? Tells you about them. How many got two boys that says, yep, that's mine. These two boys, James and John, their mother came to Jesus, and the Bible says she got on her knees, and she said, Jesus, I want my boy to make it into heaven. Why? She had what I'm talking about. It was the most, she didn't say, Jesus, put your hand on him, make him the most famous soccer player there ever was. Nothing wrong with that. I hope your kids ends up being an awesome football player like Barry Sanders. Just have him join the Lions. That's all I'm saying. I'm all for that, but this is priority right here. Is where are they going to go when they die? Well, where are they going to go when they die, when they leave this world? You and I are going to be alive, listen, 100 years from now. We're going to be living somewhere. That's why God sent Jesus, not to start a religion, but to show us how to have eternal life and provide that way. So the, the title of this series is Seek and Save, one of Jesus' classical statements. He said, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. And it's going to be the battle for the lost souls. This is the most important thing we could do. We need to be mindful of it. And this is where we find the great apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26. Standing in front of a king, standing in front of a governor. He's, give you a little context, he's a prisoner on charges that were fake, 
but he appealed to go all the way to the Supreme Court in front of Caesar. Now he's in one of the highest courts on his way up. He's a prisoner, and he's standing in a secular setting. This is not a church where he's at. And he's standing there, and he gets a chance to talk, and they give him the mic. And in verse 12, he begins to talk to King. While thus occupied, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. And at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me, and those who journeyed with me. And we all fell to the ground. Because when you encounter Jesus, it affects everybody around you. Come on, somebody. He said, I heard a voice speaking to me saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That's a farming analogy. Explain that later. So I said, who are you, Lord? He's on his hands and knees. He sees this light and he hears the voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You're fighting against the wrong one. You're fighting against me. But rise and stand on your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Every time Jesus speaks to us, it has a purpose to make you a minister or a servant. I know he's called an apostle, but we kind of lose the definition of an apostle. An apostle is not to be this glamorized person. An apostle, we have them today. We have them in our fellowship. They're simply people anointed of God, sent by God to establish churches. The Greek word here is servant. Jesus says, I'm calling you to be a servant. You'll never outgrow serving. You'll, you'll have titles as a pastor. You'll have titles as an apostle, as a prophet. We believe in the fivefold ministry. But at the bottom line, at the end of the day, you'll never outgrow serving. He said, I've called you to be a servant and a minister and a witness. Everybody say witness of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will rescue you. That word deliver means to rescue you. Everybody say rescue. I will rescue you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles. They were trying to attack him. Watch this. To whom I now send you. I now send you to the very people that's been trying to kill you. Wow. And here's our verse talking about spiritual warfare, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. Watch this. From the power of Satan to God. This is Jesus. So that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Father, we thank you for your word. Anoint me, I pray. Anoint our ears to hear your word. Holy Spirit, have your way today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Seek and save the battle for lost souls. As you can see, it is a battle whenever we engage with someone. If you're taking notes, you need to take notes because I'm going to go kind of fast here once I set this foundation to write this stuff down. You need to write down, sharing my faith is spiritual warfare. You need to understand, whenever we try to promote or advance the kingdom of God, 
We are treading on the devil's territory, and that is spiritual warfare. I just read to you, Jesus says, the people that aren't saved, that I'm going to bring this out in the weeks to come. Today, I'm talking the generic foundation. I'm going to talk next week about the battle of believers, the things that we battle that keeps us from winning souls. I'm going to talk about the battle of unbelievers, what keeps people from coming from darkness to light. In the battle of the church, I'm going to start going with this for a while, and the Lord is going to speak to our heart. But in order to bring someone under the power of Satan, what is that all about? The word power there means influence. Until we come to know Jesus Christ, we don't even realize it, but we are blind, the Bible says. We are spiritually blind. We are under the influence. You ever hear people say, man, and you might have done it before you come to the Lord. Try to quit something. Try to turn over a new leaf. January rolls around. You make a commitment, and by February, you're right back in the cycle. Come on, somebody. Because your flesh and our willpower is not strong enough to break sin's power. It's not strong enough to make this kind of transformation. You can change, but you can't transform without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's spiritual warfare in order to win souls, in order to win, as dad was witnessing at Walmart. That is spiritual warfare, just as important as it is in the upper room as they were getting filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to get ahead of myself, but I'll show you. God gave them the power of the Holy Spirit, not to just sit in the upper room and have an upper room, but to leave. Two, they were only up there for two verses. Then they went down into the highways and byways and into the streets and the marketplaces. Why? Because that's what God has given us his spirit to do. We have the answer. Everybody say that. Say, I have the answer. Don't it feel good when you know the answer to a question on Jeopardy? Or some of you, let's bring it down to my level. When you watch Steve Harvey and Family Feud, come on, somebody. I'm your man, Steve Harvey. Celebrity edition. Come on, amen. We asked 100 people, and then you say, yeah, and then it's the number one answer. Don't that just feel good? Like, yeah, I, I can do that. I can do that. It gives confidence. But you know what? When you know the answer, when you know the answer, people will start coming to you. People will start turning to you. People will start saying, hey, man, how, how'd you do that? How'd you overcome that drug addiction? How'd you overcome the vices? How'd you overcome that, that divorce and that tragedy? How'd you overcome that? And as we start to walk in that testimony, God will draw people to us. Well, no, I want you to know, if you've got Jesus, you've got the answer. Because the answer is not in ourselves. We are called, like Paul is, to be a witness. He said, you ain't going to save people. You are going to be my witness, my servant, to witness to them and bring them to me. I'm going to bring them out of darkness. I'm going to set them free. I'm the one who's going to do that in the You just got a witness. A lot of Christians are judges, but we ain't witnesses. That's another message coming up. Come on, somebody. Amen. But the world is opening up the door for the first time. We have right here in Michigan, our foster care in Lansing is asking churches to get involved. Felicia runs our foster care ministry here. They're turning to the church saying, we need help fostering these babies. We need help. And we're turning to the church for it. I mean, these doors are opening up. Melinda and I went down to Tennessee at that conference. You guys know about it a few weeks ago. And it was awesome, and I'll talk about it throughout this week. It was AACC, American Association of Christian Counseling, way bigger than I thought it was. It was I've never been to nothing like that, but I went as representing a chaplain from Van Buren. They helped send me, and it was just awesome. If you ever go to Nashville, go to Opera Land. That place is amazing. It's like, whoa. Uh, but it was very busy. We didn't get any time to really enjoy a lot of the Nashville scenery there. Um, anyway... 
during the night, they had these big services. I mean, they had thousands of people. They had Tim Tebow. They had Natalie Grant, Stephen Curtis Chapman. They had Samuel Rodriguez. He's the Assemblies of God representative of the Hispanic district. A fireball, if you've ever seen Sammy uh, preach, man. And they, those were the featured speakers all night. So thousands of people were there. All day were the sessions. And these were workshops and training that was put on by uh, therapists, counselors, all of them, PhD, MDs, many of them had their clinical practices. These were in top of the field. And the overarching theme was to how to preach the gospel in a secular setting. Because the APA, that's the Secular Counseling Association, Psychological Association, they are, and they are voted as, if you look, at this, they showed it in the slide, 63% of Americans identify as Christians. The lowest people group who identify as religious is secular psychologists, the APA. They are agnostics. It's no, no slam on them. They're proud of it. They get very uncomfortable talking about religion. They're atheists, agnostics. They're all, they're not about that. And so, but here's the thing. The president of that, of that this is important. This is with my message, I'm telling you. The importance of all of that is the president of the APA, she just come out and said, we are opening up the door and making room for the church and people of faith to come in, the Christian counselors, the Christian, yeah, give God glory for that. Have them start coming in. This is why. She said it's uncomfortable. She's getting some, sla uh, some um, pushback for it. She said because... They are not just treating the problem. We are seeing people getting delivered. One of the sessions is PhD woman who has 20 practices in secular settings. She actually talked about having deliverances in her counseling sessions and how to build the insurance. Come on, somebody. And, and see, a lot of the psychology, it got lumped in with new age. That's why the church ran from it. And, and that's not, Jesus said, I come, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal the brokenhearted. I have not given you a spirit of fear, love, but a sound mind. That is what we have. And that's why they're turning to the church and they're making room for Christians to come. One of them was on suicide and I, all these things are how to prevent it, walk with families through it. And, and, and as the first responders were there and, they're asking first responders like chaplains and uh, prison chaplains and all these chaplains how to minister to these people that are broken with the gospel. They call it, they don't like the gospel. They don't like some of our terminology, so we got to call it soul care. I'll call it soul care, baby. All you want to let me sit down with you and tell you about Jesus. Amen. I'll, but this is it. Everything we're reading right now is exactly that, that right there. Paul was not at a church conference in this book. Paul, what we just read, was not at a church conference. He was in a secular setting and standing in front of a political uh, panel of governors and the king of Agrippa. He, that's his audience. And he, the Bible says he's filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to bring the gospel. It's time for the church to roll up our sleeve, to get out of the building and go into the highways, the byways, the streets, in the, in the gutters, in the ups and the downs. That's what we're called to do. That's what God's called us to do as a church. What takes place is more important. I mean, what our real battle what takes place after we leave this place. Come on, somebody. And I'm not talking about the parking when you exit with everybody leaving. 
By the way, if you got a River Ready sticker on your car, that's a blessing and a cursing, ain't it? Amen. <laughs> that's a blessing that lets you know you're, you know, but if you uh, drive fast, yeah, I know it was you. You had that River Ready sticker on. Don't judge me. Amen. But our real battle takes place from Sunday to Saturday. It's out there in the streets, and that's what I want to tell you about. So the overarching theme, I'm going to give you two statements that's in, that's in this entire series that I want you to get down in your mind is number one, no one is beyond God's reach. And someone is within your reach. I want you to write those. I'm going to refer to them throughout this series. No one is beyond God's reach. Jesus didn't stay in the church. His ministry was very limited in the synagogue. His first time there, he cast a demon out. Come on, somebody. They didn't like him. They pushed him over a hill. His ministry was at the Samaritan woman. His ministry was into, and, and, and whenever you reach out, that's the battle, you're going to get some pushback. Whenever you start reaching out, when and so they don't care. The devil don't mind if we sit up here and have prayer meetings and we need to have them. We just had a Friday night outpouring. We need those. We need to have absolutely you need to get filled. You come on Sunday to get filled. But the battle takes place when we walk out of these doors, when we walk on his territory, when we go in our neighborhoods, when we sit down with our family, when we sit down with our coworkers. That's when you're going to start seeing that there is a devil. There is a real enemy that pushes back against the people of God. But Jesus did that. Why? He went to the Gadarean who was demon-possessed, had all kinds of evil, and no one would talk to him. But Jesus came to him. Oh, I can't wait to get there. He was troubled in his mind. And I love it. They tried everything. They tried their psychology. They tried their techniques, and none of it worked. But when Jesus, who was anointed to heal the broken mind and the, the twisted mind to heal it, when, they, when they, he encountered Jesus, the Bible says he was clothed and sitting down and in his right mind, and it made people freak out. They were like, whoa, I've never seen nothing like this before. Because no one is beyond God's reach. But let me bring it home to you right now today. Someone is within your reach. So the next five verses as I run through these, I'm going to kind of exegete the text here. What does that mean? I'm going to unpack it. The verses are the points here. Paul is standing in a secular audience. I, I don't have time to tell you how perverse Festus, the governor, having an incestual relationship with his sister. Everybody say, ew, Bernice, that's her. I mean, historians, Josephus, a secular writer, tells us that was more than just rumors. They were twisted. The, the leaders of the Roman Empire were twisted. They were pagan. They were twisted. But King Agrippa had a Jewish heritage. Agrippa was on his way. These guys were just wicked people, to just say the least. I don't have time to get into all of that. And all of the political people, this is like being on the Senate floor at Congress. This is the setting I want you to see. And they bring out this apostle, this Jewish man, very intelligent. Now, Paul was a very intelligent man. He was educated in Tarsus, this modern-day Turkey. They had, in that time, the second largest library in the ancient world. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a very brilliant man. he come out, and I don't know if he was in poor clothes, but I'm sure he was in humble clothes nonetheless, and he had chains on him. He comes out there, and he stands in front of that great audience, and he goes to work. He goes to work like a doctor. Come on. Okay, I'm sorry. Kumo D popped in there. I don't know where that came from. You don't know what I'm talking about? That's okay. Anyway, he came. 
he went right to work and he began to preach the gospel and this is what he did. And I want you to say, he gives us these five truths about the battle for winning souls. These are the five truths that are gonna set it up for the entire series as we go. We're gonna go verse by verse. Verse 19, after he told his testimony, he looks at King Agrippa and he says, so then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I went first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, then to those to the Gentiles. What's he saying? Point number one, we've all been given a mission to obey. We've all been given a mission to obey. You say, well, I'm not Apostle Paul. Listen, we all have been called to make disciples. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 19. He said, go therefore, these are the last words of Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's what we did today. That's what we're called to do. Every single one of us are called to do that. We have a mission that we must obey. Let me give you a little insight in this. I, he says, I begin to obey, when, when? Right in Damascus. Didn't he say that? First in Damascus, what is that significant? Because Damascus is where he had his encounter with Jesus Christ. Damascus is where he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. As I call it, demask us. Because Jesus had to take the mask of religion off of Paul. And it was on his way. And he began the moment he got saved. Your mission begins the moment you say I do to Jesus Christ. Whether you know it or not, brother, your mission begins. That's why you begin to see some pushback when you start getting on fire for the Lord. You start seeing it. And this is why I think a lot of the church kind of miss it. See, the burden for souls is equivalent to our personal encounters with Jesus. Our burden for the lost, when I start to lose my passion for winning souls, and as a pastor, those of you that are in training, coming up in leadership, let me tell you, I've, oh, I've made a personal commitment to the Lord. Lord, let me always be ready to preach on winning souls, on seeking you as David, as a deer, panteth for my heart, so a deer, you know, all that, and living holy before the Lord. Those are the three messages that I got in my DNA to make sure I'm ready always to give an answer. Those are the three most important messages to me, to win souls, to seek God, and to live pleasing unto him, 1 Thessalonians. But when I begin to see myself drifting from that first initial uh, of wanting to win souls, it's because my encounter with Jesus is getting stale. Because we are so many in the church, we lose our burden for souls because we become like Moses and the children of Israel, right? When the children of Israel, they, they, God came to the mountain and they didn't want to go up to the mountain. They settled for just listening to Moses. And many churches get used to just settling here and pastor in the pulpit. And I love it. I thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. I'm here to encourage you. But listen, you can go to the mountain yourself. You can go up that mountain yourself and say, hey, I thank you for the pastor. That's their job is to feed us and train us and to teach us and to inspire us and rebuke us and correct us. Hello. But they can't replace my encounter with Jesus when I go up myself, when I spend my time with him. I, I need that. And as you spend an encounter with Jesus and spend time with him, your burden for the loss will increase. It's exactly what happened to Paul. No one is out of the reach of God. Paul was a terrorist. 
He was a terrorist. He was a religious terrorist. And he had one encounter with Jesus Christ, and it turned his whole life on a dime. And he became a soul winner. He said, I make myself to become all things to all people. Why? Because you don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. Naturally, I've got to make myself. But as we have that encounter with Jesus, it will come. And he started right in Damascus. You, God has placed you where you are, in your family, in your occupation, in your school, in your community. I love going on missions field. We do more here. We are a missional church, as you can see from the flags out front. But it's more than just flags out front. It's from the flags to the pulpit. You buy a coffee, you're going to help a missionary. You go to Starbucks, you're going to help whatever his name is that owns Starbucks. You do one here, you go, everything we do is for missions. We're going to Africa. We just went to, youth went to Florida. This year. I believe that every believer should go on at least one mission trip in your life. As soon as my girls were, I've been to probably a dozen mission trips outside of our country. As soon as my girls got old enough, they, I took them to Honduras. I wanted them to see, and we always leave more blessed than we were when we got there. So I believe in missions, but listen, your mission field is right here. And it's just as important. God has given river of life. We love the building. We love the influence. We love the growth, right? But it's not just to go... Yes. It's to say, let's lock arms. Let's lock arms. Let's bring your gifts and talents. I, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. But see, when they were in the upper room, they all got filled with the Holy Ghost. They didn't go start 120 churches. 120 said, let's take my gift and lock arms with Peter and let Peter lock arms with Matthias. Let Matthias lock arms with the sons of, of Zebedee. And they begin to have the community and Mary and the women. We read they had a feeding ministry. They had a teaching ministry. They had small group ministry where they met every day. Who led that? Who did that? People. Why? So they can infiltrate Rome. And it took them 300 years but they went from putting Christians in the Colosseum to murder them as entertainment to declaring Christianity as their world religion. All because they locked arms and they said, I got a mission to obey. Number two, let's look at the next verse. Then he says, I preached, this is what he preached. I preach that they should repent, turn to God, and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Come on, somebody. That's Paul. Let me just, I got to go. I got to keep going with this. We've all been given weapons to use. This is a battle, right? This is your second point. This is what Paul is telling us. We've got weapons to use. There are two important weapons, the most important weapons when it comes to winning souls. The gospel is the first one, and that's what he says right here. I preach the gospel. gospel. The gospel message is more than just believing in our American vocabulary. The word believe means to acknowledge. That's not the same Greek word that Jesus used when he said believe in Jesus Christ. That's the Greek word pistis, pisteo. It means to commit, to put your trust in. And when we say to believe in Jesus, it has to be saying, I turn to Jesus. There has to be a turning away from something. That's what repentance is. Repentance is the power of the gospel. It is with believing in Jesus. To believe is to turn to him. Jesus' first message was 
Repent and believe the gospel because they go hand in hand. They're inseparable. When you believe Jesus is the Messiah and he tells us how to live our life, if we really believe, we're going to have to turn to him as our Lord and Savior and trust in him for his righteousness. Trust in him for his, his life that he's told. We've got to trust in him. And there's where obedience comes. We're not going to tithe. We're not going to witness. We're not going to worship. We're not going to read our Bible unless we believe it. Unless we believe we need to do it. You see how that works? But I want you to see why it's so powerful and repentance is missing in many pulpits and it's sad to see across in America today. But repentance is the very core of the message that the apostles that preached. Look what repentance does. He says in 2 Timothy, correct those who are in opposition with humility. That's, that's good. He says, then watch, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. My Lord Jesus, my Lord, repentance is how we take them from darkness, from the power of Satan to the power of God. When you and I say, I believe in Jesus, he is the Messiah, and I'm turning from myself, my sin, and I'm turning to him. And I'm taking up my, I'm gonna follow you. I believe in you, Jesus. You are my Lord and Savior. The Bible says at that moment, our, the veil comes off of our eyes. Satan loses his hold on us, and we go from darkness to light by the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The second weapon that we also have is our testimony. Revelations 12.11 says, and this is how they overcame the devil. I love that, that, at, that at those workshops, these were uh, psychologists who also, there's pastors, there's coaches, there's uh, chaplains, but there was also many a Christian therapist who has secular has practices outside of their church and they're the ones that have deliverances and everything and they said she said I love to be able to say the devil in this room <laughs> she says you know we are the original conspiracy theorist people <laughs> she says from the beginning of time but we're not theorists we're actually just we're labeled conspiracy because we have been believing from the beginning of time there is an unseen realm in an unseen enemy that's trying to take us down and attack everything of God I said, we all got a kick out of it. I thought it was funny. So don't be too hard on conspiracy people. Some of them's right. Amen. There is a devil and he is the source of evil. He is the evil influence in our culture today. You'll see that as we go. But he said they overcame him by two things, by the blood of the lamb, everybody say gospel, and by the word of their testimony. The framework of a testimony, you got, I got to go quick through here because I'll unpack all of these in the weeks to come. Your testimony is made up of these three things. Before I met Jesus, I was what? How I met Jesus. How did you meet Jesus? I prayed to him driving my truck down on I-96 going through the weight house on, in Fowlerville, November the 5th, 1997. My wife got saved later on the next year watching a TV preacher on TV, watching my life after a few months and seeing the, the addiction break off from seeing the change in my life. She prayed a prayer with a TV preacher. Some of you have given your life to Jesus by coming here. How did you meet Jesus? And now the third part of your testimony is how are you now? There has to be change. 
If there's no change, then you, you heard about Jesus, but that repentance, that encounter might not have taken place. And that's why we got to go deep and go straight because there's a difference between joining the church and being religious to knowing Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You know that if you come here and try to say it in three minutes or less. Verse 21, let's keep going. He says, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. What does that tell us? That tells us that we will all experience opposition. That's why it's a battle for the souls. The enemy doesn't mind if we just play patty cake. We need to have church, we need to have prayer times, absolutely. But if that's all we do, if we don't roll up our sleeves and get out there, then we're not really taking territory, are we? And when we do that, the enemy's gonna fight us. Every time we reach out, we get, we get people, you know, a church that is growing and winning souls, we, we, get, we get some pushback. We get some pushback, let me just tell you. People, the devil does not like this place being full and people getting saved and growing and the doors opening up to the community and all the influence God's given us. Last year on our 20th anniversary, we celebrated 20 years last month, so we, last year, so we had a big celebration. And one of the things we did is we went down into the community and the, the team that works in the cafe, they went into Myers and Walmart and they randomly picked people and paid for their groceries. And they picked, and Melinda and her team, they led the way, and they looked for those moms that looked like they were struggling and had big carts full of food and, and had the kids, and they were just led by the Spirit. They prayed. They went to the manager and told the manager what they was doing. He was so, he said, man, want me to make an announcement? No! <laughs> and they were just led by the Lord, walked up to the, and made not a big deal, and said, hey, I just want to, and wait till they got through, stepped in when they paid the bill and said, I just want to, pay for their groceries. You should have saw people were crying. People were praying. People were, oh my, you don't know how this was my last. I mean, there was that kind of stuff that was happening. Why? Because we're the church. And we want to show people if we can help you, we can. We were at gas stations and giving people free gas. That was so amazing. But here's the devil. I called personally all the local gas stations that we were going to. And I said, can I have your permission to come on your property? We have a team from our church, and we're just going to pay for the gas for some people. Every one of them. This is amazing. All these churches and no one's ever done. Whoa, this is so amazing. What church? I'm going to come to your church. Can I get free gas? (laughs) You ain't going to get, you know. Everybody said yes. There was one gas station that said, well, the owners aren't here, but I don't think they got a problem. So we were like, okay, the next day we hit all these gas stations and we had one team. It was Kavar and the youth and Mary and the youth. I happened to go to this one gas station. I won't say its name. (coughs) Shell. And uh, (laughs) they're there, they are there to bless people. And the brothers, it's owned by two brothers. They came out and they got in Kavar's face. They got in their face and said, get off this property or I'm going to call the police. And we're like, oh, we're giving away. I don't care. Got real rude. Why? Because the enemy don't like that. We found out that these two brothers, and I'll say it in public, everybody knows they're devout Muslims. 
And the Christian church, according to their own mouth, is the infidel and the enemy. They have the Quran in their back of their gas station. They are very outspoken about Christians coming on their property. What's my point? When you begin to step on the enemy's territory, you're going to get every devil, even religious devils, coming out trying to stop. Isn't it amazing how Kavar could have said, we're just here from the government giving free gas. They would have been like, cool, can I get gas? If I'm here on the Atheist Anonymous whatever, whatever club, anybody, anybody but Jesus. Because in our culture, we're so afraid of offending anybody but God. Because there's something about that name Jesus. They don't care if you do it in goodwill, if you do it in the name of Eddie Markham. I don't know who he is, but give me free gas. But when you, Jesus said, if you give somebody a cup of water in my name, you're engaging in spiritual warfare. Yeah. Yeah. The next point, Paul said, but the Lord has given me help. That's the next verse. So I, these Jews tried to kill me when I stepped out of my faith. When you start, you know, I, first time I wore a Christian t-shirt in public, that was a big deal for me. I was in my 20s a different day I just was, was and I remember I was ashamed I was kind of nervous you know like being in public with my faith and I remember you, you just it's just another whole level of spiritual warfare when you begin to step out then I got filled with the Holy Ghost by the way and it changed everything but you're still going to fight the enemy people going to say stuff you're going to feel that pressure you're going to feel that but he said that I received help so you're going to the next point was we all have help from God so you're going to have opposition but I want you to know at the same time God's going to help you with that gas station situation, Kavarka, I said, hey, leave the gas station and go to the one down the street, the one I didn't even call. Just go to, and I'll tell you which one. It was Five Point. It was mobile. We went there. The owner came out. He was so happy. He goes, yeah, you can get free gas. Do you all need something out of the freezer? You need some food? You need some snacks? You need some pop? You want some Mountain The youth was like, yeah, Mountain Dew right here, baby. What did Paul say? I went to the Jews. They threw me out, so I went to the Gentiles. Come on, somebody. That's how you do it. You don't quit. And God ended up blessing over here. God will always help. Let me just say this one point. First closing. This is so good, though, though. Listen, could you imagine how silly Paul must have sounded to King Agrippa? Here's, King, here's Saul standing in front of this floor of these political people, and he's in handcuffs, and he's saying everything I said that up to this point. And he goes, and yeah, God's been helping me. King Agrippa's probably doing what many have said, and many of you probably have said to yourself, if God was really helping me, I wouldn't be in this situation. I need you to lean in. Agrippa's probably going, if, Paul, if God was helping you, Paul, he'd get you delivered. He'd get you free. What he didn't realize and what many of us don't realize is God is helping even when we don't see him helping. Because Agrippa didn't realize Paul was not the one that needed to be free. Agrippa didn't recognize that even though he had chains, he was the freest person standing in that auditorium. In fact, God was helping Paul to show Agrippa that he needed to be set free. Jesus is on the cross. Let me go, let me go a little deeper. Closing number two. Jesus is on the cross. And one of, the, one of them in Matthew came and said, Jesus said that 
he, if he destroyed the temple in three days, that he would rise again and rebuild the temple. And look at him now, he's on the cross. He didn't do that to the temple. He, no one destroyed the temple. What was he talking about? They did not realize that he was talking about his body was the very temple. Here's the thing, the mo you probably know that, but you probably don't know this, that right in the middle of that, while they're making fun of Jesus for not fulfilling his promise, he's right in the middle of fulfilling his promise. And many times we don't know God is helping us. We don't see God in the middle of our battle. We don't see God in the middle of our storm. But I'm here to tell you, even though you can't recognize it, he's helping you fulfill his plan in your life. God's helping me. God has helped me to get here. You ain't nowhere. You're in jail. You don't understand. You don't understand. Tell somebody you don't understand what God's doing. It's a God thing. It's a God thing. You don't understand. You may, I'm, I'm like broke right now. Yeah. Am I going through something right now? Yeah, yeah. But God's helping me. I got Jehovah Jireh. Yeah, I'm right in the middle of the process of getting what God told me to do. Is this helping you, Amber? Is this helping anybody today? He's going to help you. Even when we don't see him working, he's working. Come on, Pat, come on, give me that microphone. Even when you don't see him working, he's working. Even when you don't see him working, he's working. Even when you don't see him coming through, he's coming through. You're all by yourself. You have Abraham and you got Isaac on the altar and you're like, God, I don't understand. I'm sacrificing everything for you. God says, but you have no idea. On the other side of the mountain, I got a little ram that I'm just pushing up the side. You can't see on this side of the mountain, but I can see all things and all things things work together for the good of those who love me. I'm bringing the ram up. You can't see him. Tell somebody you can't see him. The, but the ram is coming up on that side and right at the right moment, when you think God ain't there, that's when the angel of the Lord, that's when the voice of the Lord is going to say, okay, now you're going to see what I've been working on. Now you're going to see what I've been doing. Paul didn't understand why he suffered so much. He said, how come I can't take a wife like Peter? Why do I got to be single, me and Barnabas? He said, don't you know I got a desire to be married? That's in your Bible. Paul says, why do I got to work a secular job and make tents and live off the support of the churches? Why do I got to do both when the rest of the super apostles are full-time in ministry? And then he ends his rant, which God thought was inspired for us to read because we all have been there. But Paul, Paul keeps writing and says, but nevertheless, <laughs> but nevertheless. How many are thankful for nevertheless? Yeah. Nevertheless, my kids ain't serving God right now, but nevertheless, yeah. he's working when I don't see that he's working. Yeah. Yeah. Mom and dad prayed for me to get saved. Melinda said, thank you, Jesus, but I didn't want him to get that saved. <laughs> and then she jumped in and we all got saved. Mom and dad pray. Many of you are praying. I'm telling you, God's helping you even when you don't see him helping. But we got to be serious about winning souls. We got to be serious on reaching out to people. That's spiritual warfare. But here's the last point. When it comes to winning souls, it's true. And the last point is this, is that not all of them, put the point up first, not all of them will respond. Okay? 
Where's that? Okay, now go to the verse. The last verse in that dissertation, in that monologue, actually, it turns into a dialogue at the end when Paul pops the question, looks eye to eye to King Agrippa, and he says, King Agrippa, do you believe what I've been saying? He said, I know you believe in the prophets because King Agrippa did have a Jewish heritage. He's trying to fake it like he ain't one of them Christians. I ain't one of them tongue-talking Pentecostals out there, you know. <laughs> Paul's calling them out, says, yeah, you know the things I'm saying is true. And he says these words, and these are one of the most scariest words uttered in the Bible by a human being, and that is this. Paul, you almost... You almost, Pastor Eddie, almost got me today. Oh, you almost persuaded me to be a sold-out devil-chasing sin, hating, tongue-talking, Bible-worshiping Jesus, devil-chasing, true, blue, spirit-filled son or daughter of God. You almost got me, Eddie. Some of my old... Voices and peer pressure and looked around and seen Festus looking there saying, he's calling you out. You believe? And Bernice sitting here with her little self. Talking about if you raise your hand, I'm leaving. I don't know what happened, but if you know the context of that dynamic of that relationship, King Agrippa was put in the many places that our loved ones are, and I was. I almost was persuaded. Don't be an almost Christian. And you really can't. No more than you can almost be pregnant. You either have life, and that's life, by the way, in you from the moment God said, that's a baby. Society calls it everything else. God said, when you was in your mother's womb, I named you, I called you, I formed you. You're made in my image. You are bearing my, you are a bearer of my image. The moment you have a baby, you can't hide it for long. It starts to show. My daughter sitting on the front row. And when you get saved, you ain't going to be able to hide it. And when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you ain't really ain't going to hide it. Because he's going to be in you. And you don't got to defend Jesus. When you get the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit's like, like a lion. You just let him out. Ain't nobody got to defend no lion. Just let him out of the cage. Come on, somebody. <laughs> what am I going to say? What am I going to say? Come on, stand up. This is the last closing. What am I going to say, Pastor Eddie? I don't know. What if they ask me this? What if they ask me that? Just let Jesus say, man, Jesus has changed my life. And you just got to taste and see that the Lord, he is good. And if I can't tell you everything, be like, be like the woman at the well and say, come, let me just show you. Bring him to church. Bring him to Jesus. They'll have him log online to a, uh, our church, another church, any church. They're out there. You don't got to worry about defending Jesus because he's strong enough to defend himself. Spiritual warfare, it's the battle of souls. You ready to go to war, church? You ready to go to war? We're in war. We've been in war. But we got help. But we got help. You ain't by yourself. Won't you catch that verse? Paul standing there with chains says, I got help. You're here today. Whether however you feel, I want you to know God's helping you. You're here today. Your help may not look like help in your eyes, but it's, it's there. God is helping you. You're here. He's helping you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And he, he's helping you. He's helping you. 
Hallelujah. Somebody needs to hear that today. He is helping you. He said that Friday night at outpouring, Isaiah. He says, I am the Lord God who formed you, and I will help you. I will pour my water on those that are thirsty. That's beautiful. So as we close this service out right now, I don't know, pray for people to get filled with the Holy Ghost because you need it. We're going to do it every single week as we talk about winning souls because you need power. And I'm going to really show you that here in a couple weeks. I'm going to pray for healing. We, we got altar workers. Whatever you need, you can come up and get prayer. But right now I'm going for the souls. I'm, I'm going for the almost people. Maybe you're here with every head bowed, every eye closed, watching online. I want you to turn this up and just focus. Please keep me that one camera straight ahead. And if you would say in your heart, you're more like King Agrippa than you are Paul in this story. You, you're almost, you heard the testimony. Oh, you've heard some testimonies. But you're almost persuaded. You know, Paul left from this chapter, and let me just tell you, we never, ever have another record of King Agrippa getting another chance. There's no mention in history and secular writings. We believe that was Agrippa's last chance, and he did not even know it. I don't mean to be dramatic, but I'm, I've lived long enough to know that death can come, and our last, we don't never know when our last time of hearing the gospel. Today could be the day. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. If you're here today and you say, I'm almost persuaded, but I'm ready to come fully persuaded from almost to the uttermost. Come on, Hebrews. Remember that message? I'm ready to come all the way and be fully persuaded. I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Raise your hand right now in this church. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Let me look around. Just raise your hand if you're here. Amen. I see the hand up front. Anyone else? Raise your hand today. If you're all, you're going from almost, you want to be fully persuaded. Today is the day. Anyone else? Come on. Hands up. If you're watching online, put your name in the chat and say, pray for me. Pray for me. Anyone else? Raise your hand before we move on. Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask our altar team to come, and I'm going to ask one more thing of you before we go. If you lifted your hand, or even if you didn't lift your hand, but you want prayer, come on up to the front. Let me pray with you. Let us pray with you. Come on up. Come on up. Come on, church. Clap and applaud. Encourage them. If somebody next to you, encourage them to come. Come on up, come on up, come on up. If you raise your hand and you need to come, come. I want you to come, come, amen. Come on up, guys, come on up. And just face this way, face this way. You don't gotta face the crowd, face this way, amen. Come on, keep coming, come on up, come on up, amen. Come on up, you need Jesus today. You're gonna go from almost to fully persuaded, come on. Some of you got one foot in the world, one foot in the church, come on. Put them both in the church today, both in the Christ today, come on. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. I pray that message was a blessing to you, that you received some sort of encouragement or word of instruction from the Lord. That's our prayer at River of Life, that every time you tune in, that God speaks directly to your heart. Well, this is Pastor Eddie again. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast and remind you that every Tuesday, a new message is uploaded. Also, if you want to watch one of our services, head over to our YouTube channel. It's River of Life Church, a church of his presence, his promises, and all people, and you can watch one of our services that way as well. So God bless you. I pray God's presence be with you uh, for the rest of the week. Amen.